Well, good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. We are going to wind up the book of Micah this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Micah chapter 7, the last chapter in his book. Uh, really encouraged uh, to be finishing this book. I know some of you are like going, yes, please. Uh, we've seen, come on, throughout this whole uh, book that it's been very challenging, right? Uh, there's been some really hard news, bad news, in fact. And, and as I mentioned to you in the first message, and Rudy did a couple times, the truth of the gospel is, is that in order for the good news to be really good news, we, we need to be honest and, and look at the bad news, the bad news about ourselves and about our broken world. Well, there's an illustration that I, I'd seen in my notes this past week as I was preparing for today that I hadn't used before, and I thought now might be appropriate to use it, and it goes something like this. When you're sick, and, and you know it, like you, you know there's something wrong, the last thing that you need is for someone to say, oh, it's nothing. You're, you're just going to be fine. No. No, what you, what you really need is you need someone to tell you that, oh, no, no, you are sick. But I can show you how to become well again. That, that's what we need, right? And we, we need to keep in mind as we're looking at the book of Micah, even in our closing message today, we need to keep this in mind that, that that's, in fact, what he's been trying to do. In, in fact, he is an oracle of God, so it's what God has been trying to do. What God's been saying through Micah is... The world is broken. And in fact, what he's actually telling us as, as the gentle, loving physician that our Heavenly Father is, is this, and to the people of Israel and to us today is this, unless you heed the diagnosis and, and my prognosis, what I'm suggesting you do in order to become well, the infection may in fact get worse. And so what is God's diagnosis that Micah has been proclaiming throughout his whole book as a prophecy? Well, it's essentially the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel. It's the truth about our world, and the truth is things are not the way that they should be. What God says is true is what most of us would agree if we're honest is true, and that is we live, come on, look around we live in a broken world, but thankfully, again, we've learned this in Micah, little snippets, little snippets, we see it every once in a while, is that it's a world not beyond hope, and it's not beyond hope because there is our God, our gracious and merciful and compassionate God. And so what we see is we see that exploitation that is going on, and has been going on since the dawn of time, right, it tells us that something in our world is not right. It's off. It, why, would, why are we exploiting each other and why are some people being exploited really terribly? Oppression, oppression tells us that things are obviously not the way that they should be. Something innately in our minds tells us that people shouldn't be oppressed. We should not even be oppressors. And so again, the truth is, if we're honest, our hearts tell us that we, we're not the way that we're supposed to be. We're certainly not the way that we know we should be or we even want to be. We too easily choose greed over generosity, Micah has shown us. We too easily choose our own personal comforts over the comforts and needs of others. And so wherever we look, we find something that makes us wonder, why is the world the way it is? Why? What's wrong with us? 
So these are the moments when we experience, all of us experience, and come on, we, we certainly are experiencing this today, are in innate longing for justice, real justice, for mercy, for fairness, and for goodness. I mean, whenever these desires that we have are met, e even a little bit, even in part, even for a short period of time, don't, don't we feel like, oh man, maybe there's hope for us? I'm sure you do, I do. It's almost as if, however, the world is completely upside down most of the time. And justice, of course, allows us to catch a glimpse of the world being right side up, even for a little while. So now in the days of Micah, and the reason for his prophecy was that God had judged that his own people, his church, had so abandoned his word, had so abandoned his commandments, and the mission that he'd called them to, uh, that he deemed was, that, that he actually then got to that point in time where he deemed it was time to do something about it. Things were getting really bad, and he, he, he thought it was time that they should hear the diagnosis and frankly, the prognosis. And the truth is, they'd become just like the world all around them. In their big cities of Jerusalem and Samaria, they were just like the people in those big cities, worshiping the idols of those cities, giving themselves to power and wealth and to sex and all those things, just like the people. There was no telling them apart. There was no telling them apart from the world, that they were, in fact, the people of God or that they knew God. And so the bad news that God has Micah deliver to them is that he's going to judge them for their unfaithfulness. They're going to be taken into captivity once again. And that was the verdict that we saw last week. Now, throughout this book, we've also seen this. God, God, just, God just wants one thing. He wants a faithful remnant of people who will be his people and to whom he can be their loving and merciful God. And so I as I meditated on that this summer, a thought came to me that, that after going through six chapters of Micah so far, I wonder if this thought has come to you. You know how Micah's prophecy played out, right? We talked about that last week. 150 years later, it all came true. Jerusalem was attacked, the temple destroyed, and the people of Israel are taken into captivity, captivity again, into exile in Babylon. And so I, I wondered this, and I'm thinking some of you probably have wondered this too. Were there not some faithful Jews, faithful men and women in Israel in those days? Weren't there just a few even? Well, the answer is yes. There were a few. Micah was one. Isaiah the prophet was another. There were many, probably, at least a few. Well, then if that is true, and it, and it is, how fair is it that God would judge, listen, punish, discipline, you choose the word, <laughs> all the people, all the people, including the faithful remnant. Well, that might lead to another question. Does God do that today? Does God do that today? Does Jesus judge his church? Will he judge his church? 
if they become unfaithful in a similar way? Well, that too is a really good question. (laughs) And we'll look at that as we conclude today. Your sermon title for today is The God of True Justice, Mercy, and Grace. Three things that we hope to see today. We will see through the words of Micah. Number one, the lament. Secondly, the proclamation. And finally, the, pen- the petition and the benediction. Let me pray one more time before we dive into today's text. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Oh, God, we thank you for being so good. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you, you will come and tell us. Um, you will come and tell us when we're being wrong, when we're being unfaithful. You will do that because you love us so much. So we thank you that you are that kind of Father, a loving, heavenly Father. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today again that you would help me in the uh, unpacking of these words of Micah. I pray that you would not just help me, the preacher, but you would help everyone who is the hearer today. Holy Spirit, would you speak to all of us? Would you help us to hear you, O God, in these words? And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Number one, chapter seven, verses one to seven, the lament. Listen to these words of Micah. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge, they ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they all weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in your neighbor, Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth for her her who lies in your arms. For the sons treat the father with contempt. The daughters rise up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will look. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This is his lament. So we learned a few details about the man Micah in our first message in this series. He's known as a minor prophet, which does not minimize, of course, his contribution, but simply tells us that his prophecy is actually a a shorter prophecy, just seven chapters, and and he wrote his whole prophecy within one year. Compared to the major prophet who was a colleague of his living at the same time, Isaiah, who wrote 66 chapters, I believe, over a period of almost 30 years. There's a distinction between a a minor prophet and a major prophet. Micah was from a small town, but lived in Jerusalem alongside Isaiah during the period that he wrote his prophecy. But I also want to suggest to you something here that we, we learn about him today in this text. And that is, he's, of course, clearly, he's being a prophet. But he also displays the heart, I want to suggest to you, 
of a pastor. He's got a pastor's heart, doesn't he? As I read these words, I know that many of a pastor that I know, whom I know, and not just pastors, but faithful Christians as well today, feel much the same way as Micah did and expresses here. His language here is what's called classic lament in the Bible. And so we must understand that word correctly, though, or lament correctly. Unfortunately, I think for many of us, even Christians in the church, we see the expression, woe is me, right? And and we tend to think it sounds a little bit like a pity party, right? Woe is me, right? Uh, No one loves me. Woe is me. Why are my life circumstances so challenging? Why is life so hard? You know, why is it raining all the time? Woe is me. No one listens to me. You know, a pity party. That's not what this is. In Scripture, woe is me is one of the most powerful and deeply felt phrases that can possibly be invoked. We should pay special attention whenever we hear a woe or a lament. It sums up the feeling, for example, of a grieving mother who has lost a child, or of a widow or a widower facing their spouse's funeral, or of a conquered nation that's been destroyed. Woe is me, woe is us, is only used in the most dire, grim, and tragic of circumstances. It's prevalent in the scripture too, by the way. (laughs) I think some of you might know that, especially those of you who love the Psalms. 60 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. And of course, you know, there's a Bible, a book in the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, dedicated to lament itself, and it's called... You guessed it, lamentations. So so when we hear Micah saying this, we should hear his pastor's heart. As he looks at what has happened to his own people, he's so discouraged. He's so forlorn when he looks at what's going on. And and, and not so much the judgment that's going to come as as bad as that is, but it's the ruinous effect of sin in their lives. I mean, he can see it day by day, what sin and, and rebellion and unfaithfulness that God is doing to people and how it has overtaken them. Friends, friends, trust me when I say this. Trust me when I say this. Many, many a pastor whom I speak to today feels the same lament for the church in our very day. And not just because of COVID. No, there, there's, a, there's a tremendous polarization going on, not just in the world politically, but in the church. There, there's the legalistic, pharisaical right, and then there's the license-oriented liberal and left and progressive, whatever you want to call it. And it's in, in both cases, people moving far from God in, in, in truth, just aligning themselves with the world and attempting some sort of moralistic, therapeutic deism but not the God of the Bible, not following the God of the Bible. So the truth is, lament doesn't feel good. The the feelings of lament don't feel good, but they're absolutely necessary and they're part of God's plan for us. They really are. So here's what it is. Lament is just truth. It's truth. It's God and us being honest with ourselves and with our world, the way things are, right? Being honest that the ways in which we personally fall short of the glory of God and faithfulness about our church and and the church doing the same, and yes, the brokenness of our whole world. 
It's just being honest. So lament is about truth. It's about the truth. And so you don't have to look too far these days, I would suggest to you, to feel lament, do you? Obviously, whether it's COVID, racial unrest, it's just like week after week, another young black man, black person, person of color, shot and killed. It, it just, it's wickedness and it won't, it just doesn't seem to go away in, in, in our day too. So, let's lament. Let, let's, let's lament like Micah laments. So see it this way. See the words of Micah as his heart expressing sincere anguish over the condition of his people and of the world. It's like he, it's he, he's groaning, right? It's, it's like he's groaning. Micah uses in this part that I read for you this morning agricultural language to express his lament. There's this image of a vine dresser, right? And, and he's going out to his vineyard uh, looking for fruit. D despite it being harvest time, there's none. He looks and he looks and he looks on the vines and they've been picked clean. This is the way he expresses his lament. And for Micah, it's, it's a picture, it's a metaphor for how he sees the people of God, his own people. They've been picked clean of all that is good as a result of their unfaithfulness and giving them of themselves to the idols of the world and the culture. And by the way, that's exactly what idols do. They pick us clean. We just, we just give and give and give and to, to appease and be appeased, appeased by our idols to the point where we spend our, everything we have on them and they pick us clean. They fail you. They always do. They always will. And they will leave you empty. And sadly, they will leave you full of despair. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., he wrote this lament on his kitchen table one night after yet another death threat. He received several. He wrote these words that were recorded and saved. This is his lament. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I'm afraid. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I cannot face it alone. Pretty honest words, right? Crying out to God. That's what he's doing. He's crying out to God. This was his lament. He had reason to lament, if you know his story. In the book titled Reconciling All Things, in which this quote from Martin Luther King is taken, the author rightly concludes this. A lament is not despair. It's not the same thing as despair. The lament is a cry directed to God. It is the cry of those who see the truth of the world's deep ruptures and wounds and the cost of seeking peace. Godly lament actually leads to hope, not despair. It leads to hope. So Micah actually gives us in this passage three reasons uh, for his lament. First, at least in his day, there was, 
no righteous to be found. I mean, we know from the New Testament, there's none righteous, right? Paul tells us that in Romans, there's none righteous. But, but Mike is looking around in his day, and, and there's no righteousness to be found anywhere. And so that's a good reason to lament, is when we look around and we, we can't see anything righteous taking place. He looked and found none. That was his point when he said he could find no fruit. And in fact, he says in verse 4, that the best of the people, they're like a thorn hedge, meaning they're fruitless and they also are causing pain. The best of the people in his day. So he uses language that suggests, suggests that all, all he's seeing is people hunting each other down, which is an image of how people prey on others out of greed, taking advantage, as we saw last week, with their unjust weights and scales. That's all he can see. Now, come on, sometimes again, today, that seems like that's all we can see. And it's not just with oppression and injustice. It's what we see people doing to our planet and to the environment, pillaging and plundering. We see that as well. Now, the second reason Micah gives is the utter failure and corruption, look at this, of the leaders. In verse 3, he says, their hands are, one, are on what is evil. Essentially saying everything their hands touch is evil. To do it well. Oh, yeah, they want to give themselves to this, to, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. They, thus, they weave it together. In other words, they're all in cahoots. You ever had that feeling? So what do you think? Again, do we see this today? Come on. Of course we do. 2,700-year-old text story. Human nature has not evolved. It's the same. It's the same. We have the same problem. Ah, yes, so this is, what, this is what we see here. So we are to lament, and we are to express our lament, Micah is showing us, by crying out to God first. Cry out to God. Now, the third reason Micah gives us for lament is how all of our actions, and inaction for that matter, both of the people and the leaders in that day, leads to the breakdown of our society. Mike is giving us a, a civil order uh, lesson here today. God is, the Holy Spirit is. When people behave this way, whether it's the people and the rulers and the leaders, society breaks down. It just breaks down. And so in verses 5 and 6, cries out at every level of our communities and overall society, Michael, Micah is crying out that overall they're all breaking down. They're all breaking down. Whether neighbors you, you, who can trust one another, even our friends turn on us, and in family life, well, things aren't much better there as well. So this is reason for lament, and yes, to cry out for God. And that's what Micah shows us. So, if you're feeling what I'm feeling this days, these days from time to time, good, good. You're human. And God is speaking to you and encouraging you to have his perspective. And that's a good reason then to lament, to lament well, to consider the situation in your world, in this world, but also in your own heart, and then cry out to God, to lament to him. Secondly, we see in verses 8 to 13, Micah's proclamation. Look at his words. 
Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shall cover her and, and, and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river, from the sea to the sea, from the mountain to the mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. So now... Micah the prophet, the pastor, becomes the preacher. (laughs) There's clearly a change of of language here. I don't know if you noticed it. As he boldly proclaims, preaches to look at first to his enemies, right? He says in verse 8, rejoice not over me, O, uh, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And then in verse 10, he he says these words, then my enemy will see and shame will cover her. And so he starts out speaking to his enemies and then he seems to be speaking to someone else, potentially the hearer, you and me, but I also want to suggest to you, it looks like besides speaking to someone else, it looks like that he's maybe, maybe preaching the gospel, the truth to himself. So he has gone into lament, and now he's going into proclamation, proclamation, and he's preaching a message, but he's preaching this message also to himself. He's gospeling himself. He's reminding himself, and listen, we get to hear it. We get to listen. It's the word of God about the, uh, about the faithfulness, pardon me, and the grace of God. He's preaching to himself for strength. In... Martin Luther King Jr.'s lament, he he also prayed for that, didn't he? He prayed for strength. God, help me. I'm feeling pretty weak here. I'm I'm feeling pretty vulnerable. That's what Micah is doing here. So friends, that's what you and I need to do when we're deep in lament. When we get to the point where we're finishing our lament, we've cried out, is to go to God's word. Go back to his word. Read it daily, and hear once again how good God is. How good he has been, how good he has been to you, how good he is, and all that he has done in Christ for you and for the sake of the world. And then at that point, remember these words of Micah as he's gospeling himself, then do it for yourself when he says, when I fall, I will rise. Right? He's preaching it. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Sometimes, and I know many of you know this, when we fall into despair and grief, if we fail to lament well, properly and well, we may allow despair to turn to depression. That's the cycle. That's where it can go. Especially then, especially then, We need to hear these words of Micah. 
the preaching of the gospel to our own hearts. This is a promise of God to you and I. When I fall, when you fall, I will rise. You will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. One more thing to see here, however, in verse 8, uh, verse 9, pardon me, from Micah is this. He says this, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me on my behalf, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Hmm, that's some promise. And what he's saying is this, if we will lament well and then go to the Lord, to his word for our comfort, the, the Lord will, through his spirit, reveal to you and I our own sin in the midst of lamenting about everything else that's going on in the world, our own brokenness, even those who are part of his faithful remnant. And then look at these words, he will plead my case, he will bring me out to the light and what shall I see? His vindication. Friends, that's what we have in Christ. We have our vindicator. When God looks at you today, now Christian, in Christ, his judgment of you is, you're saved. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. You're in Christ. Still, we must lament. We must cry out to our God. We must do these things. There's one more thing to see here in verses 11 to 13. For Micah, and I hope you'll see for you and I, it's not good enough, listen, that he himself benefit from this good news, that he himself receive the grace and the forgiveness of God, but that this grace, the grace of God, and the good news of God must go to the nations. Friends, let's learn this from Micah. Let's not be the kind of Christians who hear a good word of encouragement on Sunday or from God's word as we open it, and, 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 then, and it's for ourselves, and then just go on with our day, living our lives all for ourselves. When Micah says a day here, by the way, he's thinking back to chapter 4 where he thought of the day of the, the, day the, the, thought of the day the Messiah, Jesus, would come, the day in which we now live, the day and age of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, which is for all the people. And so Micah's proclamation, his preaching here, is also about this good news being taken to the nations. By whom? By the people of God who were the people of Israel in his day, and by the church today. That's point number two, the proclamation, and number three, the petition and the benediction to his prophecy. Beginning in verse 14, we read, Micah petitioning God. Shepherd your people. Shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. 
The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you, O God. So Micah petitions the Lord to shepherd his people. He petitions God to be the great shepherd. He petitions the Lord to vindicate himself before the people and the nations. And he petitions the Lord as he vindicates himself that all creation should turn to him. He petition, his petition is that the Lord will save his people. And so it's a beautiful call. He's petitioning God not only to shepherd his people and to care for the people of Israel, but he's, he's saying in doing that, in the way that you treat us, even by putting us and sending us into exile, even by punishing us and disciplining us, oh Lord, yes, you are also going to be punishing the world. Let them fear you and let them turn to you. Them too. Them too. And now, look at his benediction. These closing words are beautiful. He says this, Who is a God like you? <laughs> Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God, you will keep your promises. That is the benediction of Micah, and it's true. Micah, whose name literally means, by the way, who is like God, asks that very question, right? In verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Well, as we know, as we've been seeing in our time together over the years here at the Rock Church, the whole Bible, of course, speaks to us about who God is and what he has done. How marvelous, how marvelous he is. But Micah has made two things very clear about who God is. He's been juxtaposing them through the whole book. It's been constant. He's been making them very clear. Number one, it is this. God will not overlook sin and unfaithfulness. He will judge and discipline those whom he loves. He will. And that is actually how we can know that he is a just Oppression will not go unpunished. He is a just God. But secondly, we also learn from Micah that he is kind, that he is merciful, that he is full of grace towards us, that he forgives. And like he's just said in his benediction, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. 
So as we conclude this morning, let's return to my question that I asked at the beginning, or one of them anyway. Does God do this today? 27-year-old, 100-year-old text, right? It's the Old Testament. Surely God doesn't do that today. Come on. We're in the New Testament. We're under grace, not under the law. Surely God doesn't do that today to his church, does he? Well, friends, I want to suggest to you as we close this morning that Micah is quite possibly the most relevant book for us to be studying at this moment in history than any other. As I've read and listened and watched to some of the most well-respected pastors and theologians and commentators this summer, to a person, they believe that our current cultural moment is not just a clear example of God judging the earth, the world, and the powers that be, but also his church. The church is to be the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus will do everything he can to ensure that his bride is pure and that she's holy. There are many, many examples in the New Testament. We don't have time to go into them today, but I want to give you one in particular uh, of where it's clear that God is going to do that in the church today. And it's a good thing. We need God to be doing this, right? John's gospel highlights the words of Jesus in chapter 15, a popular, you well-known passage, you know this, where he describes our heavenly father as the vine dresser. Remember that earlier in Micah 7? John records Jesus' words saying this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. But then he also says this in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It will happen. It does happen. So, so why, why, come on, why? Why does God judge his church today? Well, for the exact same reason why he judged the church in the days of Micah the prophet. The t church today, still not everyone, there is a faithful remnant, yes, but the church today, in large part, is also guilty of chasing after the same idols that our, chase, our, our culture is chasing after, which leads us to becoming increasingly unfaithful to God and to his word. Friends, as your pastor, that's where I see it most prevalent. The word of God is not only watered down, it's shied away from, and it's completely, in some cases, ignored or denied. God will judge that. And so, friends, this is why also it's very important for us to understand that not only does God judge and discipline us individually, but he also expects us to do that in the church as well. Oh, boy. Really? Yes, actually, he does. He does. In Matthew 18, you all know this, Jesus teaches and instructs his disciples in Matthew 18 how to deal with a brother or sister who is caught in unrepentance, unrepentant sin. It, it's a step-by-step -step process, and we are instructed, in, encouraged, commanded to do it. The ultimate goal, of course, is repentance 
and restoration of that individual, not so much the purity of the church, but that's not always the case, is it? Nevertheless, we are to deal with sin in the camp as it is called. God expects that of, of us. He expects us. He expects us to call out sin. So the prophet Micah was God's oracle and gift to the people of Israel. Yes, he was a gift to the people of Israel. His purpose and calling was to bring them, call them to repentance and to restore them to God, to God himself and to each other so they could better be the bearers of peace, justice, kindness and mercy to their world in that day, which they were not doing. And so, friends, that is the goal of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated when he, went on, was when he was on earth to this day. His vehicle for the expansion of his kingdom today and until he returns is the church. It's us. It's you and I. We are to be his ambassadors in this world today, bringing the reality of the kingdom into the lives of those who are oppressed and are suffering injustice. To do that, we must learn the great lesson of Micah, which is also the great commandment that Jesus gave to us. We are to love one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost. Then we are to love our neighbors as ourselves while we walk and are seen to be walking humbly with our God. Oh, praise to the glory of his name. Amen. Oh, praise to the glory of his word. My prayer for us today and in the weeks and months and years to come is that this prophecy of Micah will open up our hearts to doing justice, to loving kindness and mercy, and walking much more deeply and humbly with our God. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for the word. I thank you for the inspiration, Holy Spirit, that you gave to Micah. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, that the word is alive and, and living. It's a two-edged sword as well. So, Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would cut us to the heart. I pray that you would be gentle, but I pray that you would heal us, that you would heal our hearts, you would heal us as men and women, that you would heal our church, that you would call all of us, Lord, to repent, to confess our sins to one another. Lord, I pray that you would identify us to all of us, the ways in which we are being drawn into the idols of this world so that we can be turned away from them. Oh, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in the weeks and months ahead in our church and in our ministry. I pray, Lord, I lament <laughs> to you. We lament to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, heal our broken land. Heal our broken world. Bring your justice, your mercy, and your grace to our world. Lord, we long to see that. We long to see even little, little remnants of that today in this world today. But Lord, we long to see it perfectly displayed by you when you come again. So Lord, we, we lament 
We cry out to you. We petition you. And Lord, would you make us proclaimers of this good news? I pray this, Lord, for all of us, and I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.